from the Gospel of Luke. Do you think I have come to give peace on earth? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. Before we dive into our text, I've got a question for all of you. Uh, Feel free to respond out loud. Has anyone ever taken your words out of context? Has that ever happened to you? Uh, Has anybody ever taken… Have you ever taken somebody else's words out of context to try to win an argument or make yourself look good in a situation? A little quieter on that one, but I know it's true. Um, I don't know how many of you watch late-night TV. Uh, My wife and I used to do that before the birth of our second child, and uh, one of the late-night comedians that we would watch is a guy named Jimmy Fallon. And uh, on his show, he has this sketch, which I… it was years ago, but I thought it was really funny, where he would take um, uh, a news anchor and all of the, you know, the, a very serious news anchor, uh, Brian Wal- uh, Williams from NBC, and he would mash up all of his words together to create like a Snoop Dogg rap. Have you seen that? Have you seen the videos where they take uh, like a politician's speech and they cherry pick the different words to make them say something funny or something different than what they typically said? Right? It's, it, this, is, this is something that we do all the time. Uh, You've probably seen it in the news all the time too, right? Do people take things out of context in the news when they try to create their titles, right? This is a normal thing to do, and it's, you know, it's funny when it's done for a video, and, you know, it's a little less funny uh, when it's the news, but, but it's, it's, it's really a much, much worse thing to do when you are doing it with Scripture. When you try to uh, cherry-pick the Jesus that you like or the Jesus that… Um, you know, he wish he, you wish he was, instead of taking Jesus at His word and allowing Him to be the Jesus that you need Him to be. You see, I'm afraid that our culture has this concept of uh, flower child, a uh, hippie Jesus, uh, that would never say anything hard or difficult or challenging, but then what do we do when we're confronted with a text like we are in our gospel today? Well, I'm hoping that by the end of our time together, by the end of our time in this sermon, that we can have a fuller, richer, and more true picture of who Jesus Christ actually is for us. And so, if you have your bulletins, I would encourage you to turn to the text because we're going to be going through it. I'm going to be starting at Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse 51. So, beginning on verse 51. Do you think I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on in one house there will be five divided. Then Jesus goes on to say, right, three against two, two against three, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law. He really nailed that one, didn't he? Um, You know, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law, right? But I I want you to think about the question that he asks for a second. Think about this with me. Jesus asks, do you think I have come to give peace on earth? Now, if you didn't just hear the gospel read, your answer would be, well, yeah, right? I mean, yes, that's kind of why you came. I mean, you all, you all are here during uh, Advent season, right, uh, Christmas time. In Luke chapter 2, right, there's this, this uh, chorus of angels that are singing on the birth of Jesus, and they say what? Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, right? Peace among those with whom He is pleased. 
Or Isaiah 9. You've heard this also. This should be very familiar to you. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, and Prince of Peace. So what's going on here? You know, again, when Jesus asked the rhetorical question, do you think I have come to give peace on earth? You imagine that the answer would be, well, yes. But that's not what he says, is it? No, I tell you, but rather division. So how do we reconcile these passages? How do we reconcile these images of Jesus? Well, I'm going I'm to talk about two different things today, um, two main points. And we're going we're gonna to see why Jesus can both be the Prince of Peace but also be one that caused so much division. And those two points, those two aspects of Jesus are, first, His character, who He was, who He is. And then the second point is uh, His message. So both, first, His character that was divisive, and then His message. So first, let's talk about the real Jesus for a second. Because our, our culture, we have to unpack this a little bit, because for decades we've been taught that Jesus is a passive, uh, people-pleasing, uh, peacemonger. That's, that's a mouthful, but a you know, passive, people-pleasing peacemonger who never engaged in confrontation, who never talked about judgment, who never challenged anyone on anything unless it was to call them into love and tolerance, who never forced people into any hard choices. But there's a, there's a problem with that Jesus. He's a fictional character. He's not real. You see, there's nothing people-pleasing about Jesus. Jesus cared far less about being liked even than you and I do. There's this passage in John chapter 6, which is so amazing to me. Jesus has just finished feeding the 5,000, and he's pretty much formed a megachurch on the spot, right? He's got crowds following him. And the very next thing that Jesus does is he turns and he says, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now, they didn't understand the Eucharist at that point, right? That, that hadn't been instituted yet. And so that's kind of a bizarre thing to say. Is that a people-pleasing thing to say? No. In fact, what happens is it says, and many of his disciples departed from him at that point. People-pleasing was not high on Jesus' list of priorities. Uh, there's also uh, nothing passive about Jesus. You know, Jesus was, was nobody's doormat. He spoke the truth with courage and conviction. You remember that time where he flipped over tables and chased thieves out of the temple? Not once, not one time when he was challenged about his identity or his teaching did he waver or back down. So again, Jesus was not passive. And there's nothing of a peacemonger in Jesus. Now, I'm going to qualify that a little bit. Notice that I said monger and not peacemaker. I said Jesus is not a peacemonger. I did not say he was not a peacemaker. And, and here's what I mean by peacemonger. Let's talk about this term for a second. A peacemonger and I want you to be a little reflective in here because there's, there's typically one in our, in our own families, and this is also something that most people, I would say, or many people struggle with, being a peacemonger. A peacemonger is somebody who has no tolerance for conflict and is always taking things personally. A peacemonger wants everyone to get along so much that everybody's individuality is crushed for the sake of togetherness. Right? Like, people can't be allowed to be different because it's threatening to the home. You know, if, if the whole group wants to do one thing and one person, you know, wants to do something else, that person is seen as uh, cold or cruel or selfish because they can't just get along with everybody. 
You all follow me when I say that? uh, Individuality is crushed for the sake of togetherness. A peacemonger would, would rather everyone just get along than encourage the hard work and painful work of growth and change. Because, you know, a resolution to conflict takes difficulty and and hard work and effort and pain to actually create a real sense of togetherness rather than just a false fictional representation. You all with me on that? You know what I'm talking about? Maybe your own family's experienced that or you know those who have. You see, a peacemonger is one who values peace above all else, more than integrity, more than truth, more even than genuine love and real intimacy. Let's just get along. Jesus is a peacemaker, but he's not a peacemonger. Jesus is a peacemaker. A peacemaker is one who desires peace but is not willing to compromise integrity or truth or convictions or principles in order to achieve it. And you think that somebody who leads with that kind of strength of character, with that kind of conviction and clarity, being a straight shooter, would make Jesus loved, wouldn't you? People would love him for being clear and, and um, seeking, seeking peace but not compromising in doing so. There's no way someone like that would, be, would cause division, right? No, of course not. Well, let's think about this. Look at our political environment. Lines are drawn in the sand and clearly defined. So imagine that, and I'm going to do it to, to both sides, uh, imagine that you're at a Republican dinner party and everybody's on the same page, and then you stand up and you say, well, we should pay attention to how we treat people at our borders. You might get burned as a heretic, right? Right? You might. I mean, you're speaking your opinion, but you might get burned as a heretic. Or if you're at a party with a lot of your uh, Democratic friends, and, you know, you all agree on most things, but then you, out of conviction and courage, you say, well, yes, but I'm not so sure about this group identity thing. That might become problematic down the road. Whoops. You know, is it, always, is it always valued for people to speak, um, speak truth, speak honesty, speak uh, from their convictions? Or do you set yourself up as a target? Does it cause division? Let's use another example. Um, imagine that there's a family argument, right? Your family's arguing, and you step in and you say, you know what, let's all just calm down and take a break. Whew. Did you just step into it and become the lightning rod for that? Yeah, you did. You see, people don't always appreciate those who who are straight shooters who stand by the truth of their convictions with courage. Let's do one more so that we can all identify with this. Um, Imagine that somebody is complaining to you about a bunch of things, right? They're just complaining about their lives and their circumstances and what mean thing was said to them, and you're listening to the story and you notice some inconsistencies, and so you say, it actually sounds like you're kind of the the problem here. (laughs) Yeah, right? Can you feel that? You understand what I'm saying? So again, being a peacemaker doesn't automatically make you loved. It's not that you're seeking to cause division, but division certainly can come as a result. Now let's not forget, Jesus is the most loving, most compassionate, most merciful, most gracious being to ever walk the earth. He didn't go seeking a fight. He didn't go out seeking conflict. He was not a sower of discord, but he was honest and forthright and uncompromising. And as any straight shooter will tell you, it makes you a target. It's, it's interesting. C.S. Lewis notices uh, this, and in one of his essays, he mentions that, you know, people only really receive Jesus in one of three ways. Some people, some were terrified of him. 
Those were typically demons who knew who he was. Some were angry with him because he spoke a difficult message and because, like we just said, he was a strong person. But some just loved him, loved him. The sinners, the tax collectors, those who uh, knew that they needed him, his disciples who knew him best. Jesus only elicited strong reactions in people, always. So again, the uncompromising character of Jesus made him a target. And so it's not only point one, Jesus' strength of character that made him, uh, I'm not going to say made him cause division, that division was caused because of his strength of character, but his message also causes a great deal of division. You know, every week we post these sermons on Facebook. You all know that, right? I don't know if any of you are on Facebook, you're familiar with it. Uh, We post our sermons on Facebook every week. And uh, one of the things that I, one of my roles at the church is just to kind of, you know, monitor that to see um, what comes in, to see what people are asking for us. We get messages in our inbox all the time. And I can personally tell you that on our sermons, we get a lot of those little hearts, right? You know, those little, you know, love this hearts. And we also get a lot of those little angry faces, those little grumpy emojis. Have you seen those, the little red faces where they're kind of scowling? Father Chris gets a lot more of those than I do, but we still get a lot of these angry faces, and I'm probably going to earn a few today with this sermon, right? Uh, And here's some comments that we've had. I'm going to read you some fun comments from our sermons. Um, Somebody, you know, was angry at us and said, well, you guys are dressed as Pharisees. It's like, actually, this is the ancient, you know, dress of the church, but okay, that's fine. You know, somebody commented and said, if you want to help me, then go away. It's like, all right. Uh, What's another one said? I'm going to probably butcher this because uh, I did not take Spanish, but uh, no quiero más anuncios religioso with three angry faces. I think that's something like, you know, no more religious messages. It's like, I mean, you don't have to listen, but that's okay. Um, so again, we get a lot, you know, we get a lot of, uh, you know, hard responses, but we also get a lot of prayer requests that start a dialogue with complete strangers in our inbox. And we also get a lot of people who I've never met and have never seen writing to tell me about how God is moving in their life. I mean, the message of Christianity is a divisive message. It's not the intention of it, but that is the result. Let's look back at our text for a second. Uh, Let's jump all the way back to verse 49, Luke chapter 12, verse 49. I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. That's strong. I mean, that's a strong verse. In fact, in Greek, it's even stronger. In Greek, fire is at the beginning of the sentence to emphasize it. It's fire I came to cast on the earth. You see, Jesus is the most loving, most compassionate, most merciful, and most gracious being to walk the earth, but he is honest. He was honest. Did you know that Jesus speaks about hell more than anybody else in the Bible? More than all of the letters of Paul? together, more than the writings of Peter, more than the writings of John. Uh, He doesn't celebrate it. He takes no joy in the destruction of sinners. And I would bet that his grief over one lost soul is greater than anything you can imagine. There's no celebration, there's no triumph in speaking about hell and its reality. And his, his grief over one lost soul is greater than anything you could imagine, but this is why he teaches and why he warns and why he offers a way out to anyone who would take it. Because Jesus knows more than anybody else what it's like to experience the full wrath of God. Jesus is the only one living today who has experienced the full wrath of God. Not you, not me, not your neighbor, not even the disciples who were uh, 
martyred. Only Jesus knows what it's like to experience the full wrath of God. Look with me at the next verse, verse 50. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Well, this isn't the baptism in water that Jesus is referring to. The baptism that Jesus is speaking about here is his death on the cross. His baptism that he's speaking about here is taking the full weight of God's wrath onto himself for the sins of all who would put their trust in him, for everyone, everyone that would seek him out and give their lives to him and just let him take the wrath of God for them. You know, you might remember this, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is so anxious about experiencing this wrath of God and, 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 you know, just so torn up about it that he sweats blood. Now, I've been stressed, I've been anxious, right? But I've never been that stressed, that anxious, that worried. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. You see, what Jesus is saying here is, I came to bring fire to the earth, but first it must come upon me. I came to bring fire to the earth, but first it must come upon me, and I alone know what it's going to be like to pull for the full weight of sin. See, this is not a popular message. It's one that's going to cause division. Um, It's going to be one that people respond to in heartbreak and anger and disbelief. Did you know that uh, 40% of mainline Protestants don't even believe in the existence of hell? They would rather call Jesus a liar than deal with the difficult reality of his message. Did you know that? It's hard. It's uncomfortable. It, it, I don't want to say it causes division. Division results because of this message, but that's not what Jesus' desire is. There's this really moving passage in Matthew chapter 23 when Jesus is speaking about the destruction that's coming, and he says, you know, um, he's speaking to the Pharisees and even to those who would crucify him, and he says, you know, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, oh, I have longed to gather under you under my wings as a hen gathers her chicks, but you were not willing. Jesus is going to speak about the reality of the judgment to come, but he would desire all of us to come and be enfolded and protected by him to let him take the full brunt of that wrath instead of us. He knows this message will cause division, but he didn't come down from heaven and get beaten and spat upon and crucified to be a nice guy or to affirm people in their sin or to pat them on the back and say, you're just fine the way you are. He came to save us from judgment. He came to teach us and to heal us and to warn us, and if we are willing, to save us. And his desire for the fire to be kindled quickly is so that we no longer have to experience the pain and suffering and death and disease that are inherent in the world, so that we can experience the peace of God after eons of division, after a millennia of discord. Now, let me tell you, if you live and you preach the gospel that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, I can guarantee you that you will not be popular. You won't. But if through your love and your invitation, even one person comes to know the Lord, does it matter? If, if, if through your invitation and the work that God does through you, even one person comes to know the Lord, does your popularity matter all that much? I hope not. Let us pray. God, I thank you that you have come into the world to save 
us sinners that you have taken on the full wrath of God so that any who would come under you would be saved. God, I pray that you, through modeling the courage and conviction, the willingness to speak the truth and to be unmoved and unmovable, would inspire our hearts to do the same. God, teach us how to love well with graciousness and mercy and desire that all of those whom we interact would join us in eternal life. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook.